Listener Production. So, Katrina, you've trash-talked your bright blue Ford Focus <laughs> several times on the briefing, but it's actually become one of your most valuable assets. Can you even believe this? I mean, what a crazy world we live in, right? So, I bought this. It was secondhand. It's a 2016. I bought it about two years ago. It was worth about ten grand when I got it. But I looked it up last night, and it's worth close to $18,000 now, possibly even up to $21,000. Go figure. That is crazy. Yeah, well, first it was uh, toilet paper, then it was cars, and now it's still cars. There is just this massive undersupply for new cars and a big boost in demand for used cars as well. And if you're really going to buy that new car, you have to wait for ages. Cars like Land Cruisers are are just insane because we've heard people buying used Land Cruisers which are near new and actually paying more than they would for a new Land Cruiser. So in this episode of The Briefing, how long are wait times for new cars and when is this whole car supply crunch going to end? First, today's headlines. It is Tuesday the 1st of February. British PM Boris Johnson has apologised after being slammed by an investigation into the Downing Street lockdown parties. So the Sue Gray report has been handed down. It looked into 16 parties, including three we didn't know about before. She found a failure of leadership, quote, and that some of the events should not have been allowed to take place. She also found alcohol is excessively consumed in the workplace and staff often don't feel like they can speak up. I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right and also sorry for the way that this matter has been handled. And it's no use saying that this or that was within the rules and it's no use saying that people were working hard. So in a pretty explosive press conference this morning, uh, Australian Time, Johnson says he gets it and he will fix it. So much of this report has been redacted because it's currently being investigated by police. There's something like 300 images and 500 pages of documents. But Boris Johnson has promised that the whole report will be released once that investigation is over. Yeah, so this is not over. The police report will be very interesting and may well decide his fate. And that all depends how his colleagues respond and whether they want to get rid of him. An interesting thing too, Tom, is that uh, Boris Johnson, the questions that were being thrown at him by journalists went on for so long this morning that he actually missed a phone call with Vladimir Putin and he has to reschedule that. Um, No word yet on when that will take place. Presumably they were going to talk about the tensions that are going on right now on the border of Ukraine. Yeah, well, he might have to apologise to Ukraine as well for that one. Prime Minister Scott Morrison is set to announce $200 million in funding for the aged care sector. Yeah, aged care workers will receive two payments of $400 each if they work in a federally funded facility. The first payment will be made um, this month and a second one in May. Interesting that May is also the month that's tipped to be the federal election month. Um, Those funds are meant to alleviate crises in staffing levels and quality of care being caused by the pandemic. Very cynical of you there, Katrina. I like it. Um, (laughs) So he's also going to unveil a $2.2 billion fund to bolster Australia's manufacturing sector. This is a research commercialisation fund helping researchers transform their ideas into businesses. And it does feel like you you might be onto something there, Katrina, because this uh, feels like the start of a big election spending campaign. Last week, Mm. there was the news of a billion dollars being spent on the Great Barrier Reef. And now we've got these other announcements worth several billions of dollars. 
Well, if it is happening in May, he'd better get cracking. He's, he hasn't got long to win over all of that public support that uh, the polls, at least, uh, show that he's lost. Corporate exodus from Western Australia. West Farmers, now this is a massive company. It owns Bunnings and Coles, Kmart, Officeworks. They're temporarily moving their headquarters from Perth to Melbourne because of the COVID restrictions. The CEO, Rob Scott, said it had become virtually impossible to run a national business from Perth because of all the uncertainty around when the border might reopen and the continuing inflexibility towards business-critical travel. Yeah, this is a big blow to Premier Mark McGowan and his shifting border policy. Um, a piece in the Nine newspapers described this as like Prince Harry and Meghan moving his family out of the UK <laughs> because um, West Farmers is corporate royalty there. He's not the only one. Um, the, the Qantas chair is also moving out of Perth for the time being because they say they just can't keep doing business flying in and out of the state with so much uncertainty going on. So a lot of anger now. And the Queensland Human Rights Commission has slammed a Brisbane school over a contract that would make students denounce homosexuality and have them agree to specific gender roles. This has been huge news in Queensland, Tom. Uh, The Commission says that forcing existing students to comply with the contract would likely amount to unlawful discrimination. Now, City Point Christian College, which has about 1,700 students all up from the years prep to grade 12, they issued the contract to families last Friday. They have defended this measure as based on the religious beliefs of its church and the international network of churches. Yeah, so this dispute comes after Prime Minister Scott Morrison introduced the Religious Discrimination Bill in late November. And the idea of that bill is to give legal protection to um, faith-based institutions to make these kind of decisions. It hasn't been passed yet. So it's really interesting to see how this one plays out. Joe Rogan has addressed the controversy surrounding his podcast that has led to Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pulling their music from Spotify in a nine-minute response. I'm very sorry that they feel that way. I most certainly don't want that. Uh, I'm a Neil Young fan. I've always been a Neil Young fan. Yeah, i got to say the second half of that nine-minute video is just a, a massive story about a Neil Young concert. Yeah. <laughs> but it <laughs> was being real... a security guard once upon a time. Yeah. yeah. It was a really interesting statement from Joe Rogan. Um, he defended two of the most controversial experts that he's been criticised for having on, but it was quite conciliatory. He, he accepted several changes to his podcast. One of the things that Spotify wants to do that I agree with is that at the beginning of these controversial podcasts, like specifically ones about COVID, is to put a disclaimer and say that you should speak with your physician and that these people and the opinions that they express are contrary to the opinions of uh, the consensus of experts, which I think is very important. Sure, have that on there. I'm very happy with that. But to me, that's kind of like putting a junk food warning on a packet of chips. Like, you know you're going to eat that packet of chips anyway and you want that packet of chips, so you're really going to pay attention to that warning. Uh, Rogan has also agreed to break his normal one-guest format. He usually just has the one person on and get other voices on after controversial guests. But I posted this on my Instagram last night and had a huge number of responses. And someone said to me, yeah, that's fair enough, but they've got to be like, proper, credible experts. You can't, like, get David Beckham on to talk about climate change. I think it's a pretty good middle ground. You know, I don't think we should ban chips, you know? Like, <laughs> we, we, still, we still should be allowed to make our own choices about 
what we eat. It's just good to be informed, informed, especially, you know, when our health and safety is involved. This is pretty critical too. I mean, this is about, you know, the actual loss of life. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it seems like there's been a lot of uh, conversation going on behind the scenes between Spotify and Joe Rogan because Spotify CEO Daniel Ek made a statement saying, it's become clear to me that we have an obligation to do more to provide balance and access to widely accepted information from the medical and scientific communities guiding us through these unprecedented times. Now, the big question remains, Katrina, will Joni Mitchell's both sides be back on Spotify <laughs> This today? is the real issue. <laughs> well, it is. Seriously, though, are these artists going to go back on? Is this, is this enough for Neil Young, yeah. Joni Mitchell and others? Well, you've got that excellent playlist that you want to bring back into your life. So for your sake, I hope that she does. Me too. All right, coming up, the future of Katrina's Ford Focus. Well, we've talked a lot on the briefing about supermarket shortages and the problems in the supply chain. But if you've tried to buy a new or even a used car in the last year or so, you've probably struggled to find any or been completely shocked by how expensive they still are. So the new car supply shortage has been an issue since the start of the pandemic. It initially began uh, with the microchip shortage. I guess the surprising thing is, Katrina, that it's still going. And for some cars, you're having to wait up to 12 months. So if you're wanting to upgrade your car like I am right now, you're kind of in this weird position where your used car has become a serious asset, depending on what model of car you have. But then at the other end, you've got to kind of buy in again and potentially have to wait forever for that and pay a lot of money for a new car as well. So what's going on? How do you play this game? And when is this supply crunch going to end? James Vortman is the CEO of the Australian Automotive Dealer Association. James, thank you so much for joining us. How bad is this supply crunch? It's pretty bad. It's a a shortage which is affecting every automotive manufacturer in every market across the world. So it really is a chronic shortage. We're seeing buyers having to wait months in in some cases when they do order a car for that car to be delivered. It's been with us for almost 18 months. So uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. And uh, you know, one of those things we probably weren't expecting when the pandemic set in two years ago. How has this affected prices? On the new car side, it probably meant that you're not going to get a discount anymore. And that's just the nature of uh, supply and demand. We have a lot less cars, which means a lot less discounting. Generally, the new car industry sees a lot of supplies and you'd all be familiar with those end of financial year Mm. sales where everyone's just trying to move stock on. That kind of environment doesn't exist anymore. But I think in terms of pricing, which really had an effect is in the used car market. So people not being able to get those new cars have looked at the used car market and that has led to significant price increases. Some analysts have said it's between 30 and 40% higher. Because it's that old thing of, you know, as soon as you drive a new car off the lot, you're losing money. But it's not the case at the moment where a secondhand car, especially if it's a recent model, has become a serious asset for some people. Look, that's right. It's sort of really challenged that norm that the car is a depreciating asset. Funnily enough, it's also meant that people are feeling confident in the value of their used car and they 
they're wanting to take that and use it to trade up and buy a new car because they think they can get a better sort of deal on the changeover price. So, yeah, it really has introduced dynamics into the industry, which we haven't seen before. So with the lack of discounting, could you sort of quantify what that would mean? Would that mean people aren't getting, say, what were they in the past, like 10 or 20% discounts? Like how much effectively is that putting up the price of a new car? It's difficult to say. I think with if you go and look at the inflation data, one of the categories they do use is motor vehicles. And that showed there's been sort of a 10% increase in the last 12 months. So it's significant in the new car space, but I guess it's not as bad as it is in the used car space. Some of the, the stories we've heard around very much in-demand cars like Land Cruisers are, are just insane because We've heard people buying used Land Cruisers, which are near new, and actually paying more than they would for a new Land Cruiser. So there's some really interesting dynamics at play in the market. As much as we're talking about this holistically across new cars, there are some makes and models that are just so high in demand that people do almost anything to get their hands on them. Right. So which brands are particularly affected? And tell us more about the wait times for those brands. How much are they stretching out? Every brand's affected. There is no brand that's been spared from this crisis. But in Australia, you just have to look at the top 10 selling vehicles. Uh, you know, we love our utes here. The top two selling cars are both utes. That's the Toyota Hilux and the Ford Ranger. But then we've also seen a surge of demand for cars like Land Cruisers, Pajeros, those types of four-wheel drive vehicles. And I guess what I'm seeing there is people sort of making peace with the fact that they won't be holidaying overseas for some time, wanting to get their hands on these cars. And we've seen associated uh, demand for caravans. So I think those are the types of cars we've seen chronic supply shortages, and that's mainly due to the high demand for those vehicles. So let's get into the nitty gritty of why this shortage is happening. Is it because of semiconductors like it was in 2020? Is it about shipping Mm. or is it about something else? Look, it's a pure case of supply and demand. We've got massive demand for cars, both new and used in Australia, and there are a number of reasons for that. The pandemic means that a lot of people don't want to get on buses or trains, so they've turned towards wanting a car. I spoke about that dynamic where people aren't holidaying abroad anymore, so their next holiday is likely to be a driving holiday. But then I think one of the important factors there is economic conditions. Uh, We've got a lot of money running around the economy. Uh, We've got low interest rates for those people borrowing. We've got house prices increasing, and that makes homeowners more confident in their wealth and more likely to buy cars. We've got incentives from government. So a range of factors really increasing the demand for cars. And then we've got this uh, microchip shortage, which is the global problem, which has really just meant that we can't get enough new cars into the country. And that's had an associated effect on used cars because people who can't get those new cars are looking at the used car market. So that in a nutshell is, is the nub of the issue. So on the supply side, is it just about the microchips and semiconductors slowing down the production line or is it also about shipping? Shipping is something that's affected uh, almost every product, uh, you know, across the economy. And we've seen delays for for a lot of things. I've just gotten a a sofa after waiting for six months. And that has uh, affected the automotive market too. But I think the the bigger problem is this microchip shortage. Um, When the pandemic set in, um, a lot of those manufacturers cut back their production schedules. And um, as a result, when they ramped it up again, realizing that there was all this demand, they were in competition with every other product that uses microchips, TVs, 
mobile phones, gaming consoles, all products which are also experiencing a surge in demand. So it's a competition for these microchips and the automotive industry, unfortunately, is, has been put at the back of the queue in some instances. So clearly this inflation bubble isn't going to last forever. So say you've got a used car right now. How long should you hang on for that for? When do you think that bubble's going to burst? Look, I don't know. It's, we're in such unfamiliar territory. I'd probably be hesitant to to call it a bubble. And I'm just not sure when the, the situation remedies itself. If it was to sort of sort itself out in the near term, yeah, there might be a risk that you suddenly uh, faced with a car that's worth less than what you paid for it. But, you know, from all the accounts we're hearing, this could go on for some time. Cars are, are things that people need. So they can't always be treated as, as investments and, and looked at in ways to monetize. So everyone will be different. But um, it's a very difficult sort of thing to say and to give advice on in terms of when people should look at uh, selling their cars. What I can say is that if you own a used car, you've never been in a better position to sell that car and to use it as a trade-in for a new car. So there are some uh, benefits to the situation. And if you're like me and you're looking to upgrade your car at some point, (laughs) when's the new stock going to come into the market? Yeah, look, so the one thing that I want to do is give your listeners the impression that you just can't get a new car because that might not be the case. Every make and model is different. So the first thing you need to do is call your dealer or the, the number of dealers and just get a good understanding of if there is a wait time for the make and model you're interested in. But to be frank, some of those in-demand cars, we are seeing waits uh, of could be three, could be six, could be 12 months. There's no way of knowing and the the situation could change very quickly. So the most important thing you can do is is chat to your retailer and and just get a good understanding of of what they're hearing from their manufacturers abroad. I reckon what you need, Katrina, is like a long settlement when you sell a house. So you lock in the sale (laughs) of your used car, but you have a six-month settlement so you can get the new car. I don't know that Ford Focus is particularly on the list of those in-demand cars. <laughs> it's not quite the highlight. You'd be, highlights you'd be surprised. Land you'd be surprised. Really? You'd be surprised, yeah. You never know. Like, I mean, who knows what's back in fashion in the era of the pandemic. Everything's <laughs> sort of been turned on its head. So, so don't write off your Ford Focus. <laughs> so, James, another thing people would be weighing up when they're buying a new car is whether they go to an electric vehicle. And mm. we've just had news come out this week that electric vehicle sales are are finally speeding up in Australia. Yes. Um, they've tripled mm. over the last 12 months, mostly thanks to the Tesla 3, um, but mm. we've now got an EV market share of 2.3%. So we're gradually getting there. Um, how are people yeah. making that decision of when they buy their last petrol-powered car or whether they're mm. really thinking like that at the moment? Tom, that's a great question because, you know, the, the assumptions being that just because the proportion of electric vehicle sales are low means that people aren't looking at that technology. But I think there are very clear signs in the new vehicle sales data that people are really looking at, um, you know, at least getting a vehicle that's uh, a lot more environmentally friendly. And we see that because the sale of hybrids in the past two or three years has absolutely boomed. The Toyota RAV4, which is a hybrid vehicle, is, a you know, one of the most popular cars in Australia at the moment. Now, now people will say that hybrids aren't as environmentally friendly as electric vehicles, but I'd argue that that shows that people are increasingly looking at, uh, at hybrid and eventually electric vehicles are using hybrid as a stepping stone towards electric. So I think it's, it's something that's foremost among amongst uh, car buyers' minds at the moment. Again, unfortunately, we are a little bit 
struggling with the supply of some electric vehicles. So unfortunately, that might hamper us for some time. But I think people are generally very interested in in these new uh, environmentally friendly cars and electric vehicles. And the sales data you just read borns that up. So I think front of mind for many buyers. So James, the big question, when is this all going to sort itself out? When will supply and demand be back in equilibrium and these long wait times a thing of the past? I've been saying that the best case scenario, I think, would be that we start seeing an improvement in the situation by the middle of this year and hopefully it goes back to normal by the end of the year. That's probably an optimistic um, assessment. Uh, This could be with us for a bit longer. There's no way of knowing uh, from our side as the retailers. uh, This is something the manufacturers working with governments often have to sort out. So we're hopeful it'll be soon, but, you know, we won't be making any promises. So that was James Vorbin, CEO of the Australian Automotive Dealer Association. So Katrina, what does all this mean for the future of the Ford Focus? Yeah, this this poor car, which really does get me from A to B in spectacular style. I need to be a bit more loving to this growing asset of mine. <laughs> but look, seriously, what it means is that I had anticipated buying a new newer car and it was going to be my last petrol car probably early this year. But because I can't get my hands on one, that's going to delay that decision for another year or so. My hope is that when this supply shortage sort itself out that we're going to have a flood of cars onto the market and prices will go down and hopefully for some electric vehicles too and maybe that'll speed up my transition into that kind of model. Yeah right that's an interesting outcome. I guess for now we'll just have to keep enjoying the Ford Focus. (laughs) Give it the respect it deserves. Yeah exactly. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the crisis in aged care. Listener.